this is Dungeon Master Eddie coming at you with the inaugural episode of the Exodus of Magic podcast, episode one, entitled Welcome. Now, this podcast is about, for me, the love of the storytelling that comes with uh, Dungeons and Dragons uh, and the various other gaming systems out there. Uh, now, who I am, as uh, I've introduced myself as Dungeon Master Eddie, because I've been a Dungeon Master since... 1991, so it's 30 years as of this year, uh, and as this is September when I'm recording this, it's probably 30 years to the month. I started playing Dungeons and Dragons in 1986 in elementary school for me, when a friend brought over the Dungeons and Dragons basic red box set for all of you of a certain age, or I'm sure familiar with the red soft covers, almost pamphlet-filled books, or your characters were based uh, from what Gygax said was directly stolen from Lord of the Rings, where your classes were fighter, wizard, cleric, thief, and then instead of being races, it was classes for dwarf, elf, and halfling. Uh, Over time, uh, between 86 and 91, there wasn't a lot of playing, and then an uncle randomly purchased me uh, for my birthday the Waterdeep box set from second edition uh, which shows one he knew absolutely nothing about me because uh, I had none of the books to play and nobody to play with but then as I opened the box set and the second edition advanced Dungeons and Dragons box sets were big on building worlds you had the map of Waterdeep you had the culture you had uh, an entire new fantasy world and that idea fascinated me So move on to 91, and I had started as the DM uh, to play with the other players. There had been some playing in 89 and 90, my middle school years, but it it was made very clear to me that the people involved were using this to define the nerd pecking order. And, you know, being the, the, the fat kid, I was put on the bottom of this pecking order. The only way to alleviate this was to be the guy running the game, and then I move up the ladder somewhat quickly. Uh, so I, I started playing with a different group of friends from our high school swimming team, of all things. And we had played at the kitchen table so much so that my mother would lament having to run to Little Caesars to pick up a pair of pizzas every time she'd come home and see everybody sitting at the, the kitchen table playing. I then, uh, over time purchased out the near entire library of the second edition brown and green soft covers uh, and many of the blue ones the the brown ones are akin to like the complete books from 3.5 the greens were more uh, tied to some historical aspect there was a book on D&D gaming as if you were in the Viking age there was one from uh, the Greek age the Greek and Roman mythology The blue books were more designed for dungeon masters, akin to the the blue books in 3.5, which were mostly pointed at dungeon masters, to give them options for use to keep things fresh with the player so it's not the usual, oh, you fight another another squad of goblins shows up. Which then led to a third edition coming out at the second last Gen Con, I believe, in Milwaukee. And 
having just spent hundreds of dollars to to fill out a second edition library, uh, this was a, a hell no moment for me. And then I didn't touch it again. <coughs> excuse me, until 3.5, where playtest over time had identified some issues that plagued 3.0, similar to the issues that played, plagued what we now call first edition, or the, the original Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. They got fixed, uh, albeit overcorrected, in second edition. And then with 3.5, it was something new because they filled out the skills which really hadn't existed before that point in 3035 and I started playing with people at our local gaming shop and this would have been 2005 2004-2005 uh, where once again the role as dungeon master one because I, I like telling the stories and two uh, as anybody who's dungeon master knows Nobody else wants a dungeon master. Everybody, everybody wants to eat the bread. Nobody wants to help bake it. Right? The, the, the chicken little baking bread story. So with 3-5, the various campaigns are run, and, and you gather players over time. And I remember the issue I ran is that I was fortunate that people wanted to play at the table, and, and everybody was trying to get into Eddie's game. The problem is there's only like a dungeon master can only go so far and as i've learned in the past games can only accomplish or accommodate excuse me games can only accommodate so many players and you get to a point where with challenge ratings that they introduced in in three five that did a better job of balancing encounters versus players you ran into a situation where you, with a large enough party, hit a, a bit of a crossroads where the table starts to tilt a little bit. Whereas the idea is four first-level characters would go up against a CR1, and there's a realistic chance 25% of the party could, could die or suffer massive injury. Now, the idea is this would scale, but it really didn't, because you're... The only way to make those line up would be to have higher level encounters where you have a, a multiple creatures that make that CR. Because if you have one creature that's, say, a CR 9 against four ninth level characters, this creature might be able to cast a spell. They might have multiple attacks. They You run into action economy where they get one, one round of actions full round or, or a standard and a move, potentially a swift. And if you have four players in the party, they get four of those. And then every time you add more people to the party, you now expand how many actions the party gets versus the adversaries. So much so that you, in order to try to balance it, if you have a single adversary, you are now raising the difficulty level of that adversary, where it then, once again, tips the balance from now. It doesn't really look like even, you know, 10% of the party in a large enough party is at risk to this adversary could take out most of the party in one shot because on, on the swing back, the party still kills them. So as I learned with larger and larger groups, you had to find a balance. Uh, and part of that is restricting not just the players at the table, 
But the other situation that would come up is, well, I have a, I'm a druid with an animal companion, and I've taken leadership, so I have a cohort, and I have this other class that gets me something, where you now have these other entities at the table that are once again taking up action economy and shifting the ratio of actions of the party to actions of the adversary in, in such a way that it very quickly becomes a video game. So over time, I've I'd been fortunate that having been a dungeon master in uh, in my local area for uh, five, six years by a certain point, uh, there were a group of regular players and people that I, I had known and liked playing with, some new, some experienced. And we had assembled a good group that, uh, with some of the people we'll talk to in, in later episodes of the podcast, I was able to run my first campaign in 3.5 where the characters went from level 1 to level 20 uh, by the end of it. And then one of the players in that campaign, a friend of mine named Tom, uh, tried his hand at Dungeon Master. And after the the first attempt didn't quite go to plot and it was entirely player fault um, the second time he ran a campaign with one one change on the, the player player field uh, we had taken that campaign from one to 20 with most of the same people I mean that for me is a sign of a really solid group uh, one where multiple people can be a DM so nobody gets burned out uh, you get a chance to play with multiple characters so everybody gets some variety and you can help write two different stories. So over time, we, we kept going with 3.5, and then 4th edition came out. Uh, and my, my view on it, that we'll discuss uh, about systems in episode 2 with my buddy Dan, uh, is we're going to talk about the nature of 4th of edition, why it really birthed Pathfinder and made it successful, uh, and the nature of what makes a, a role-playing game Dungeons & Dragons versus a different role-playing system. Uh, so I, I had played a little bit of 4th edition, not too much. 5th edition came out, I was very curmudgeon, set in my ways, and I had my 3-5 library. Uh, but what 5th edition did that was really strong in 2nd edition and strong in, in the early parts of 3-5 is there was a shift away from everything we can make the characters do to building out the worlds the characters can explore. One of the issues facing DMs and explaining a, a Dungeon Master shortage at times is building out these worlds takes an inordinate amount of time. My worlds are all custom created, and I'm finally at a point where I've refined my uh, deific pantheon based mostly on, on dragons that I can just rubber stamp my pantheon and have, have pieces that are foundational from campaign world to campaign world to campaign world. But for a lot of dungeon masters, like this is this is a lot of work. It was a lot of work for me. And if you don't have that foundation in place, trying to consistently run a game for players who can recycle, downcycle, upcycle characters, sometimes multiple times in a session, you then get a, a lot of burned out because dungeon masters have lives and responsibilities and jobs and families and trying to get to a point where you can balance your time appropriately and still enjoy the game yourself because this is not something you're getting paid to do. You're there at the table to have fun. And with second edition uh, and early third edition, not so much 3.5, there was a big focus from first TSR and then Wizards of the Coast on building these worlds for you, having 
a series of modules. Uh, for those who remember the Dragonlance novels from Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman, in the days of second edition, you had an entire string of modules built around the story that you read in the book. So you could play as those characters, Tannis and Tasselhoff, Kitiara, Sturm, and so on, where you take on the roles of these characters as you play through the different adventures. And they were set up so you didn't need the full party of seven or eight or whatnot to play. Then you could have three or four people run through the different modules because you're going to play different characters in the different modules. And it was easy for a dungeon master to run comparatively. Once you got into 3.5, there was some more general world building, and it wasn't until the end of the series that you started to have the hardcover beyond modules. These were things like Return to Castle Greyhawk, where here's, here's the environment, here are the first few floors, and then here's notes for everything underneath that you, the dungeon master, can help design to flesh it out to make it your own. A lot of third parties like Goodman Games came in and filled the gap with lots of modules for the era that they then carried on doing through 4th uh, and 5th edition. And in 5th, I've not played 5th, but whenever the new edition comes out, I get the core books. But 5th edition has done a lot of good of making world books akin to the old 2nd edition box sets, but in hardcover with like the Candle Deep Mysteries and Return to Water Deep. I believe they have a Ravenloft book out. They did one where they're now trying to bring Magic the Gathering into uh, Dungeons and Dragons, where one of the books was uh, Ravnica, a popular magic set from way back in the day that they keep revisiting. So for me, a lot of this was being able to tell stories, being that storyteller, to control the world, to shape, to shape parts of the plot. Uh, but as, as Margaret Weiss mentioned in one of her books, leaving the dialogue to the players so that here's where you're trying to go but you get to decide how to get there and together we build this gaming world which for me is bonding and it's a chance to create a world that looks a heck of a lot better than the world outside nowadays so this is why i'm doing this podcast i want to be able to tell stories share ideas potentially learn something as i interact with people over time now, as for the topics, uh, there's a bunch of topics that have already been set up. Uh, like in episode two, which is going to be about the different gaming systems, we're going to talk to a friend of mine named Dan, and we're going to talk about, uh, in essence, the meta of gaming. How we started in 3.5, when 4th edition came out, he went on to Pathfinder while I stayed with 3.5. Uh, why the choices were made, and for, for both of us, what it was like to DM through editions or changing editions and and how groups came together uh, in some cases based on editions and then his experience going from Pathfinder to Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Uh, in episode 3 we get into the first of the war stories because there's always going to be tales of things that have happened from 30 years of gaming. And my, my friend Jeff is going to be here and this this one is special to me because this was a situation where the party had been split because two of the players would not make it uh, in another session. So two players got a head start on something. And it was designed to be a throwaway, we're playing D&D. This isn't going to affect the plot in any meaningful way. And the players made it affect the plot in a meaningful way and, and changed the outcome of the campaign uh, by their actions. Uh, it was one It was probably the most fun story I've ever 
got to retell as time went on. And it had taken on a life of its own so that this story had become wrapped in, in character backstories of uh, other other players and other games, including people I'd never met, uh, which for me was the, you know, how do you win Dungeons & Dragons as a DM if you're not a published author? It's to have your stories take root in games where you don't know anybody playing. So episode 4 uh, is going to be about gaming versus life with my friend Dale, where he was part of the first campaign I ran that was going from 1 to 20, where he had to step away because his kids got too old. Well, his kids weren't playing in the game, but at some point you go from being that fun dad to being chauffeur dad, and how how his life changed with gaming therein. It's as his kids got older, and then he was starting to take them to Gen Con and, and where the world went. Episode 5 is going to be about new players involved in groups. For my friend Caleb, who was the one who took over Dale's seat and what it was like to go from one system to another to sit down to get involved with a new group that already had a dynamic and find a way to fit into that dynamic. Episode 6 is simply entitled Drew. I would mentioned earlier that there was a couple players who had totally flipped the script on a plot and nearly crashed a campaign. Um, Drew was one of these people. Drew, who has since passed away, uh, was there at the start of my 3.5 journey. We have a very personal history amongst uh, him and I for well over 20 years. And it was the story of how he came to gaming and the perspective it put on. And that, that story is being told with his now adult son, Dragon. He named his son Dragon. And the experiences he had uh, growing up with the type of dad his father was and the stories that came from that. Um, for, for the many faults, and I'm sure we'll get into them, Drew had some virtues that were hard to see, but definitely there about how he approached things and his sense of honor and how he tried to teach other players and his kids. This is followed up with episode seven, uh, which will be party cohesion uh, with my friend AJ, where we talk about an interesting situation where AJ and I have been playing in one of my gaming groups and we would switch off uh, who would be the dungeon master myself or him. I would build a world. He would run modules from 3.5 which were usually found in either Eberron or Forgotten Realms. The, the modules were very world specific in that until the end of the system. And where we had party cohesion issues because the the times I was a dungeon master, and part of this is my failing, is the party would ultimately turn on each other, uh, primarily through not working together, not sharing information, not sharing goals. Um, and then people would uh, create issues there too. And what ultimately frustrated my friend AJ is when we flipped the script and he was the dungeon master and I was the player, things went off usually without a hitch um, in in ways that he, he couldn't understand why and it took me a while to realize why and, and how especially in a party where you're going in five different directions what you have to do to, to help cohesion um, usually built around making sure everybody has a role to play now, if you have five people come to the table and nobody plays a magic user, you can only you only go so far. At some point, players have to take responsibility. But finding a way to 
work with what you have so everybody can be involved in what's going on. Episode 8, my friend Jeff comes back and we talk about the rule of cool. Now the rule of cool simply summed up is if a player manages to do something so utterly amazing, there are times a dungeon master has to be flexible to let it happen. Now, this, this is not talking about players with the magic dice or the, the show-offs who want to do everything, right? If you have a player who just, out of dumb luck, does something nuts, even if that is going to drastically affect parts of the campaign, good DMs are going to roll with it because, once again, the players want to have that rush and that story to take with them about, hey, you remember the time that we, we scried the bad guy's assistant to figure out where they were and then we just teleported in and, and just SEAL Team 6 them before they figured out what was going on? Like, things like that only happen if the DMs don't try to deus ex machina the villain away. And then episode 9... We're going to look at the philosophical difference between lawful good and lawful stupid. Now, to understand that, anybody who's played for any amount of time where Paladins had to be a hard lawful good through 3.5, potentially 4th edition, you understood that there was a line between that absolutist lawful good and the type of players they could work with beyond being lawful stupid where a villain could challenge you on your code and you walk into a a situation where you cover yourself with forks and skydive into an electrical transformer. There is going to be that understanding that there is a difference between I'm going to be lawful good and I'm going to walk the line sometimes between not trying to do evil per se, but but not being as good as you feel you can be. Um, and I'm just going to go mollywomp anything I, I, I think is evil, um, which, which could put the party at peril. And, and having a character like that who can work with the group. Uh, beyond that, other episodes coming up. I have my friend Tom, who's going to sit down, and we're going to talk about our experiences as dungeon masters. Um, as we had two very different styles, I, I have some rough outlines and ideas of what's going to happen, and I'm very fluid to play against what the party is going to do. Tom, who also built his campaign world, did an amazing job at building building backstories, and each of our setups had issues because he would he had to eventually institute the time stop rule. And what the time stop rule was is if he's going to write a villain monologue, his villain's going to get to monologue. We don't get to, as we say, cue the music, turn on the Motorhead's Ace of Spades and roll for initiative, which when my iPhone has that. I just hit the button and, and we're off and running. And, and he would forcibly hit pause so that he could finish his monologue before we then cue the music because there were story elements we would have to get with the villain monologue. Now, other things we're going to look at uh, some more war stories, a series on uh, characters and character creation, including from a dungeon master perspective, as we, uh, in, in episode three with the party, we talk about issues that come up with uh, the disposable characters and how they can be used for income generation, right? Third level characters have such and such a starting wealth. If your third level character dies, the party has that third level gear, and then a new guy shows up fully geared. 
and all of a sudden you're not making money by by taking on bigger and bigger challenges you're making money because you're you're going up against challenges you probably shouldn't getting a party member killed and then recycling their stuff uh, turning it into a video game like money grind uh, and then we'll have some looking at characters in each of the archetypes the fighter versus the wizard versus the priest versus the rogue uh, and looking a lot at, at 3.5 hoping there's a lot of people can carry over into the other editions uh, we'll look at other alignment issues like the uh, what we call the air quotes chaotic neutral character uh, chaotic neutral usually being the excuse for I get to do whatever I want but I'm chaotic neutral and I can do good things so I'm not inherently evil uh, a lot of that will also touch on the dungeon master's ultimate control over alignments where as much as Dungeons and Dragons is collaborative for the sake of the rules you sometimes need to set down the boundaries of just because it says that on the sheet does not make it so you know, characters who suddenly lose their ability to smite in at inopportune times because they haven't done it in a while will make the argument. And for anybody out there who thinks that's not how it should be, here's my dungeon master trick. I shouldn't say trick. This is this is my analysis tool. If we talk about past actions, and a good character, good aligned character doesn't do that. If the first response is to justify obviously questionable history of situations and behaviors, you're not a good character. You're a neutral character who's trying to convince themselves they're good. Everybody else looking at it from outside of the window is well aware of this. Once again, as we, we talk about... Uh, Drew, in, in his episode, the, the, the two most common phrases that would always come up from are either Drew saying, I don't see how they could hold me responsible or it's not my fault, and then the party saying, damn it, Drew, what did you do this time? Uh, and there's that perspective of what makes a, a good character. So we're going to look at alignments, we're going to look at um, character archetypes and, and why some choices are being made. We're going to look at how those archetypes fit together uh, we're going to talk about what people try to get out of Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, and partly in party cohesion, we cover why we play. And the de de facto answer is we play to have fun. But it's not that simple. How we have fun can make or break parties, especially if it's a party that's going to meet over time. There's one thing to have a party that's meeting for like a Sunday afternoon D&D &D at a game store where you're playing through some sponsored event or what have you and you're, or the Pathfinder um, the Pathfinder play, league play, open play, what have you where everybody sits down and you know, you're going to have different people at the table session after session after session versus a party that, you know, these people at the table are going to be the same people at the table for you know, potentially years worth of sessions. Uh, and if that's going to flow right, the people at the table not just uh, want to be playing and want to be there, but they want to be there for the same reasons. Uh, where everybody wants to be a part of the story, or they have things or characters want to accomplish that aren't going to come into conflict with what other characters do. Whereas some people who don't feel valued in their real life get to take center stage. Uh, some people are are trying to play to either 
adversarially beat the dungeon master or beat the system of Dungeons and Dragons in some cases. Like, look what combination I've put together that I do these amazing things that the playtesters never caught and I can just blow through everything else. Meanwhile, the party doesn't know why they're at the table if this player can just do everything. We're going to look at what people are trying to get out of it and what brings them back to the table. Uh, So with a lot of this, we'll talk about some of the worlds, how I went about creating my deific pantheon, uh, and why some of those things have lasted. We're going to talk about what makes a memorable NPC, referencing some of the ones that I have made over the years that have had uh, notoriety in some cases, uh, but have been... Uh, player favorites, if not to if not to enjoy, but to hate, due to interactions with the party, and how these these NPCs can help test and help the party improve by being that thorn uh, more so than just a villainous NPC, uh, sometimes an antihero or or non-villainous antagonist. Um, with my with my players from history, if I even just say the word Freddy, you know, I have to pass out blood pressure pills for some of them. And some of them think Freddy was the greatest thing since sliced bread. So this is the Exodus of Magic podcast. This is what to expect. I I will be putting these out on a regular cadence. Uh, And as this is the first time I have done podcasting with my equipment, there will be, over time, uh, continued work to make sound quality better, to make uh, an environment that makes it easy to have multiple people talking uh, during a podcast. Uh, a lot of my learning at this point is learning to deal with the technology while sharing, you know, the lessons, stories, and fun I've had. And it still blows my mind to say this over 35 years of Dungeons and Dragons. So I look forward to people listening and sharing and commenting. And until next time, this is Dungeon Master Eddie from the Exodus of Magic podcast. And I look forward to talking to you in the future.